0: Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 14. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode 14, Jeevana Heyman sits down with DeJore Jones, a yoga teacher, flight attendant, community advocate, and model. DeJore has worked as a model for accessible yoga and is the main model used in Jeevana's recent book, Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Everybody. DeJore shares about the populations she serves, including incarcerated communities, folks who were formerly sex trafficked, and those facing housing instability. DuJour also shares about her work as a trauma-informed yoga teacher and community support member and how she brings intention to her offerings to support the humans in front of her. DuJour speaks in depth about the many types of trauma that we do not regularly consider or choose to ignore. This conversation invites us to consider the trauma in our experience while holding the awareness that everyone else around us also has trauma. Welcome to episode 14. Here we go.
1: Hey, it's Jivana. Uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm so excited to be here with my friend, Dejour. Hey, Jour.
2: Good morning, Jivana. How, hi, everyone.
1: <laughs> How are you, DeJour? How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I um, am glad to be in my, in my place.
1: Yeah. Um, in, in, LA. LA. In,
2: in Los Angeles, yeah. yeah. I was uh, in the house for three days. Over the weekend, and when I came out yesterday for work, I was pretty amazed at how much smoke was in the air down here, and also ash and eye irritation within the first 20 minutes of being outside. So, um, feeling for the the people that are in the these fire zones right now, sending uh, sending love and comfort to them.
1: That's nice. I know it's rough. I'm just about two hours. Northwest of you, yes, um, and we've had this, you know similar mm-hmm. smoke in the air. Um, luckily, we're not we don't have fires right here, but um, we have very often had them.
2: Yes,
1: so oh, I know it's so stressful. It's stressful.
2: Um, it is stressful.
1: You know. So you know, we'll have your bio up, but I wonder if you could just briefly introduce yourself. Well, I actually I want to first introduce you as um, the like you're like the accessible yoga I don't know what main representative you're like our main ambassador in the world (laughs) well yeah like your image you're you're everywhere you're like all those pictures of Sarit took of you
2: yes like
1: you're the main model in my book
2: yes proudly and And I've seen some of your marketing pieces where one or one or two of my photos were used that kind of gave me a warm feeling and then i saw the photo of 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 sunny b and i in Ad- atlanta with um oh god with oh i can't remember octavius in octavius studio one of those shots was up on one of your trainings so i am grateful and a very proud representative of the accessible yoga movement
1: Mm, thank you so much. Cesare. Thanks for everything you do. So, yeah, tell us more about your work because I know. Well, I know now things are strange, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
2: prior to the virus, uh, I've been teaching yoga in a variety of, of programs and places for mostly marginalized people. Um, I volunteer teach at the L.A. County and California State and federal jails and prisons around. Um, I also teach yoga to a senior residential uh, home or apartment living, mainstream seniors. And then I teach yoga to a residential center where there are mentally ill seniors that are medicated and kept in a residential place where they cannot leave of their own because some of them would get lost out in the world. So they are in a locked facility and um, I teach uh, sex trafficked women that are in a diversion program. And I teach at a recovery center, juveniles in the juvenile um, system, juvenile uh, justice system and also to uh, formerly incarcerated people and um, foster care youth. Um, so that was on my, my people, my peeps, my population. And I've been mm-hmm. really adrift uh, during the virus, the, the, the virus times of not being able to see them because some of them are with the most need and, the, and yoga benefits them highly. So I worry about, especially the people, the incarcerated people, I really worry about them in these COVID times.
1: And so you're not able to teach any of those classes right now?
2: The only one I'm teaching is for the, um, the um, sex trafficked mm-hmm. diversion program. We do a once a month Zoom chair yoga and breath work and orienting class.
1: So, so, yeah, so those communities aren't having access to yoga right now and probably other resources as well. Is that what you're saying? Like you're worried about them because they're having to get through this time without all that support?
2: Uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. In the best of times, prisons are not set up for any sort of distancing or comfort of mm-hmm. the people that are being held there. Um They weren't built to look like spacious accommodations at all, and so one benefit, though, is that they are letting people out early um, if they have six months or less remaining on their sentence. And depending on what they were sentenced for, they are being released to lower the numbers in these in these facilities uh, because of COVID. Um, In March, my last face to face class with anyone was at the Chino Women's Prison, and the following, okay, volunteers, vendors, and uh, contractors were allowed in until the third week of March. Perhaps three Mm -hmm. weeks prior to that, family visitations had been already cut off. So um, I, I just know, you know, being on the inside to see what it's like under normal operation, I just don't, Know how any kind of distancing is happening unless they are allowed outdoors. The grounds are usually pretty vast and they can separate, but they have to come back in to go to bed, to eat, etc. And sometimes these places go into a lockdown because of something happening where they everyone has to stay indoors, and it could be days on end where they even take their meals inside the the rooms or the cells that they live in. Um, so it's it's worrisome for me, and um, You know, the virus has to clearly be brought in by someone. And so more than likely, it was one of the staff members. There's a Chino's men's prison nearby that um, some of the employees work at both locations. And eventually the virus got over to the men's prison, too, and by clearly a staff or officer. Hmm. So it's very troubling for me to think about them, um, you know, in the best of times, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so I know that you're not teaching there right now, but I wonder if you could talk about it. You know, just I think it could be helpful. You know, I, I'm personally really interested in, you know, what what is trauma informed teaching? And and um, I know that's something you're that you teach about. Uh, yeah. Can you explain a little bit what that means? Because I, I feel like that phrase is overused, honestly.
2: So. Most of us humans have suffered through some sort of trauma or experienced some sort of trauma, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, Just being birthed and giving birth can be traumatic to the human body. So when we Mm -hmm. think about the people that are in prison, um, many of them lived traumatized lives from childhood, where they perhaps were born into a family of neglect or abuse or um, addiction issues with the parents or absentee parents or family, it doesn't have to even be parents, family members. So, when we teach trauma informed mm-hmm. yoga in those kind of places, we have to be extremely aware of our cueing. And we don't want to, I mean, anything could trigger anyone, but we want to be particularly mm-hmm. thoughtful about how we cue and the, the poses that we choose in these environments of highly traumatized people. Um, So we think about uh, queuing such as for the jail population, prison population, when we ask to bring your hands behind your back, interlace your fingers, that is definitely a triggering request because this is how they are handcuffed. Over and over and over and over throughout, sometimes their daily movement, they are handcuffed to be moved around the facility, not each and every time, but a lot. So I never cue that, ever. I don't need them to bring their arms back like that. So that's right. an example, I'm working with the um, the ladies in the diversion program, the women in the diversion program. Um, they, I would not do happy baby should we be doing mat yoga, if we were doing mat yoga. Cat cows, no thank you, I don't do those. We can do seated cat cows. Um,
1: and, and cat cow, th- these are because also they're kind of like, Suggestive? Is that why? There's, there's, there's like,
2: sensual there. movement. And to people that have been repeatedly um, sexually abused, it can be a, a, a simulation of what has happened to them that is very triggering to them. So if we think mm-hmm. about the traditional cat-cow on hands and knees. Um, you can imagine how someone's mind could just sort of flip into being... Um, under the control of someone else in a sexual situation and how that could traumatize them. So we can do seated cat cow all day long, but oh, as right. far like happy baby, if we were on a mat, that's a very right. triggering pose for some populations. And so um, in, in these populations of p- like jail, prison, and these diversion programs with um, former sex workers, I just stay away from those. I don't even cue them because they mm-hmm can be very upsetting. And sometimes you don't know the person is upset. You can't even see it, see them upset. But inside of them, they are triggered and activated. Um, words. So I was in a class years ago where the instructor said, bring your hands together in prayer, interlace the fingers, and shape your hand like a pistol. So in a jail or prison, I would never, ever reference any gun at all. Right. Um, many of them have been harmed by guns. Many of them might could be in there because of gun usage so I don't need that sort of reference. I can just show them what I want make your hands like mine and that's enough of a visual for them to do what I what I'm requesting um, down dog especially in a men's facility very. If I'm moving very quickly from tabletop pose to down dog to forward bend to standing very quickly, they are not comfortable. The males are not comfortable with their tushes up in the air in a down dog. So I do not prolong that. Even with the the women I teach, um, I don't hold the down dogs long at all. Um, Referencing so jumping over to homeless or unhoused populations, which I've taught. Referencing. So there were times in my teaching where I'd say, while you're at home watching television, move your body in your chair or in your bed while you're watching television at home. The unhoused people are clearly without a home. So I stopped referencing that um, when I'm in that particular population because I do teach unhoused people from before from time to time. Talking.
1: You could generalize that, I would think, like, to just be more sensitive to the background of people that you're with and realize you don't know. You don't know people's stories. Correct. You might assume you're teaching in a studio. that You might assume someone isn't homeless, and they might be. Correct. Right? You don't know.
2: We don't know. And so it's um, also with the children in the foster system, same thing. You know, when you're at home, blah, blah, blah. When you're with your family, blah, blah, blah. They've been separated for whatever reason. So we don't want to trigger that memory of, oh, my mom, I want to be with my dad or I wish my family would come and get me from here. I've had the kids in juvenile hall ask to take them home with me because they don't want to didn't want to be there. So, you know, it just it it takes practice. And I have flubbed up and I still flub up sometimes. But to kind of um, navigate through this terminology that I was taught in, my, you know, my very first yoga training, and also just in sitting with other yoga teachers when I was not a teacher, just hearing some of the views. Now I've tried to really tighten that up and and make it in a way that you know it's it does take practice
1: though. Well, but yeah, sure that up sometimes because I think that you know once we it's it's a strange thing about learning. You know, is that you? As you learn more, you think, "Oh, I didn't. I made so many mistakes." Now, yeah. you know. Yes. <laughs> and what is that? What is that famous famous saying? You know, if you it, when you know better, you do better. Yes. And I think um, we just have to give ourselves a break. You know? Yeah. I, I would say the same thing about teaching people with disabilities. Like, you know, it's it's easy to start um, questioning every word coming out of your mouth, thinking, right. "What am I saying?" You know, it's so. But you just you do your best.
2: You yes, know? do your best and. You know sometimes I've I've claimed that I said that did not come out very well. Let me try right. it again and I just own it and say it a different way and keep on moving, you know.
1: Yes. Um so we Right and don't right cuz the thing It's like you can you can say I made a mistake. Oh sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to say it that way. I should have said yeah. it like this. Move on. Just yeah. Like move on. It's okay. Yeah.
2: I wanted to if it's okay touch just touch on some different kind of traumas that we may not think about. Um, mm-hmm. poverty and being mm-hmm. Poor is definitely traumatic. Um, School and community violence, the loss of a parent or significant other, um, Mm -hmm. institutional trauma, so trauma in prisons, jails, senior homes. Just to have to be placed into a senior home has got to be traumatizing to that senior. And the family, too, because, you know, it's, it's a whole different phase of life. Um. We think about institutional trauma. So police have their trauma. And then those of us that deal with them have our trauma about police. Military. Military people have a lot of trauma. And then there's like a secondary vein of trauma with um, um, sexual abuse in the military. So that's a whole other talk. Um, Catastrophic accidents like tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes. Cults. Um, cults, gentrification, displacement and refugees, multi-generational and ancestral trauma, adoption and being in the foster care system, food insecurity.
1: Right.
2: Um, being, and so this,
1: you said, when you said ancestral, do you mean like race-based trauma, like what Dr. Gail uh, Parker talked yes. about?
2: And I have her on my little book list I'm going to share with our group, um, our listeners. But yes, that's exactly what I mean. We're carrying around the trauma, all of us, not just the Black people, of mm-hmm. being part of a system of abuse and terrorism from 400 years ago when this country was being put together. So, you know, it takes a strong person to turn off any emotions about owning other humans. Mm-hmm. Um I have here. This was I, this talk I did um, a couple months ago. But on my list is trauma from fire, from fire, mm-hmm. and that's what we're witnessing now in Los in California. So not just being the victim, your house is burned to the ground, but the neighbors seeing the mm-hmm. animals fleeing, the smoke in the air way down here, and the news, the photos, the pictures on the news it's very traumatizing to think that whole swaths of land are being leveled from fire and people that live there, you know? And so it's it's not just the people that are involved directly with the fires. It it ripples out to the rest of us, if we have any humanity. And then let's see a couple more, um, Accident. I yeah, you know, I can't, I, it would take us a, a, a strong will to not feel anything. Oh, they're having a fire. Oh, I kept last night when I was on the plane looking out the window to see if I could see any fire mm. on the ground. But we were I was not in we were not in the right position or I was on, on the wrong side. But
1: and just talk about that for a minute? Like, how about your work? You know, I mean, can we talk about your um, other work uh, as a flight attendant? Because I have to say, there must be some trauma working with the public. Like, people are so, I think, kind of abusive to service are. providers. Yeah.
2: yeah, they are. Um, unfortunately, we get used to it. And it trains you to control your reactions, which can be beneficial. Uh, Hopefully you let it out in another way in a different environment. But right now, um, my biggest fight is the people that don't believe in wearing masks for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I can count on most of my flights of me having a detractor or two and having to deal with them repeatedly Mm -hmm. during the flight about bringing their mask over their nose and mouth covering up their nose. The nose gets left out. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh it it creates, you know, and we are um empowered to deal with it. So it it creates a little tiny bit of confrontation when you have to keep asking the person over and over and they'll tell you that they're eating and it's like you are not eating. If you were eating, I wouldn't be bothering you. Like so they'll make up stuff we're supposed to ask them three times and we elevate it to the pilots to take it up to corporate security while we're flying. turns into a whole thing. They get met at the gate. I would be humiliated and embarrassed of my behavior. They sign agreements to wear the mask while they're flying. Three different Mm -hmm. affirmations they have to click through to get to the the ticket purchase. Mm -hmm. And then a zillion announcements. And then they still show up inside and think that they're just going to do what they want. And the pressure is from the other passengers watching how we react and what we do because Delta's made them a set of promises to make them feel safe flying with us, to come back to flying because we do this, we do that, we do this, we do this. Cleaning, cleaning more than ever, changing all the filters more than the manufacturers recommend, all these promises so the people around, if we don't do anything, they will definitely write a letter. When we do what we're supposed to do, they definitely write a letter about that, how great the crew was. They did, you know,
1: so. No, you're and, really a, a hard place right? I mean, it seems like, that's why I, I mention it with trauma because it feels traumatic to always have to be and, the, the enforcer and also the supporter and yep. dealing with difficult people all the time. I mean, it's
2: it's really, it's the new part of my job that I absolutely hate. Hmm. Um. But I chose to continue to work
1: hmm. Thank you for doing that. though.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, I need to be there and people need to get around. And so I do. I just do. it. And I've gotten really tough skinned in a very short time uh, because usually you don't want to fight with the passengers because inevitably their letter will come in. Then you have to explain what happened. And just depending on the manager, you know, depending on the outcome. But in this mask thing, the CEO has empowered the flight attendants to do what we have to do. And other than landing the plane, we don't do that unless it's a physical altercation. They will be met at the gate and more than likely put on a banned flying list. They cannot fly with us until the mask requirement is lifted. And he's so serious about this that he doesn't care about lost revenue because the more people will show up because they feel safe to be with us versus the few that go on that list. We're probably near 300 on the list, which is not a lot considering how many people move around daily, which is still not a lot, but 300 is a very low number. Um, anyway, but I am doing my part to stay alive and keep
1: my people and my crew okay. <laughs> well, so, so what is that like? How do you handle your trauma you know, uh, right now?
2: So now, because things are just so weird, Jeevana, I, uh, I, I've been really staying in the house um, just to be away from people and not be so triggered by seeing people without masks on, I cannot um, police them clearly because I'm in out in the public. So mm-hmm. basically, I'm watching a lot of television. I am um I'm watching a lot of events on Eventbrite that are dealing with all sorts of things, uh, racial stuff, social justice stuff. These just these different groups I've come across that are having events. Online and it's been for me very um, a very educating time. What I mean by that is because there's so many events going on on the internet because everyone has quote pivoted. Um, I've been using this as a time to learn, to learn and listen to these these thought leaders about you know as I said social justice, race based justice, etc. Um, sleeping or I mean I just. Stay in the house, pretty much, um, and I've gotten used to that. The first month, it was really hard. I think I had a little depression because it just was hard to adapt to that new way of being indoors when we were when we were asked to to shelter in place. Um, I'm talking to a, more people by phone, which is nice to hear the human voice instead of texting or not communicating at all. So I've got to rekindle some um, friendships via phone calls just out of the blue. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I haven't talked to you in so long. And then we get to catch up on a phone call. Sometimes Zoom. Usually I'm not big on Zoom because that means I have to get dressed. And oh
0: my!
2: <laughs> but, so if the other person says let's zoom, I'm like, oh, okay, and I do it if they suggest, but I don't ever suggest that. But it's all not Zoom. I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing. Facetime, Facetime, Facetime. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, reading and just you know studying, and uh, t- I've taken quite a few online yoga classes, which has been fun to take classes excuse me from teachers that are not in my neck of the woods but that i admire or like how they what they're saying in their marketing um so that has been fun
1: um okay well it sounds like you're making the most of it
2: i i'm trying to yeah yeah all
1: right so what were you saying you were i interrupted you talk about flying but you were going through and talking about different kinds of um, trauma, like different types of trauma that you can have from all different aspects of our lives. Uh, it could be race-based trauma. It could be um, from fires. You talked about all that. So it, it seems like, and I think you start out by saying that, you know, we all have some kind of trauma. And so it feels like a lot of these ideas are universal that need to be in all yoga classes, not just in special classes, teaching, like in, incarcerated populations, for example, but really for for all of us.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that all of these teacher trainings that are out there, even pre-virus, that very few of them discussed trauma or taught or had a module about trauma. It has gotten better since, let's say, even five years ago. But I think we want to keep yoga pretty and we don't want to have that heavy talk or Oh, that's, I don't want to think about that, you know, cause it's uncomfortable for me, but it, it we cannot heal unless we address what it, it is or what it could be. And so, you know, you probably have the same thing too, where people say, Oh no, I've never had any trauma. And just hearing a car backfire startled you. And that's a little trauma, just a little bit. You know, And if you hear screeching brakes, screeching brakes, screeching brakes, even without a crash boom, that is startling to the nervous system, you know, and I'm using my heart starts to race. I'm looking around to see where it is. Am I part of it? Um, so it's, uh, you know, it is a part of the human experience. And if we just look around and especially this list that I put together, uh, I talked, uh, last month with the global, I had a talk about trauma-informed yoga, um, trauma-informed yoga therapy with the global yoga therapy day last night. So I did a deep dive into a little more research um, regarding trauma. I wanted to touch on quickly, if it's okay, about um, the different kinds of trauma. Mm -hmm. So we have chronic trauma, which is repeated and prolonged, um, such as some sort of abuse, direct or indirect. Um, It can occur when a person is subject to multiple traumatic situations, like combat service, in an ongoing abusive relationship. We have complex trauma, which is an exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events. Um, And often they're invasive and interpersonal. Um, And then we have, where's that note? Uh, We have, um, mm, I don't want to shuffle the papers in the microphone, but (laughs) I hate when I hear that when I'm on. Uh, anyway, so we'll just start with those two for now, but, so there's different kinds of trauma. Some are just a one-time thing and some of them are recurring. Um, so, you know, like even sometimes I have good memories with certain music and then sometimes a bad patch, the music was, uh, it was popular in a bad patch and it takes me right back to that to that bad patch. So it's very, um, (laughs) you know, it's in what, what Bessel van der Kolk says, which I'll talk about him in a little bit as far as the book list goes is the, the issues, um, the body keeps the score. I was going to say something that, um, our other teacher, oh, her name escapes me. The issues are in our tissues. Oh Nikki Myers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, But the body keeps the score about, you know, the trauma and, um, so, you know, we have to do things. I think too, a lot of um, shaking of the body on purpose dissipates. You just went away for a second. Say that
1: again. Uh-oh.
2: I said one of the practices that's good to help dissipate a little bit of anxiety um, from a traumatic thought is just the shaking limbs motion, shaking mm-hmm. arms and legs, whether you're seated or laying on laying down, to just help to move some of that. Um, That anxiety or or activation energy out, like loosen it up and let it, let it out is the shaking limbs practice, which I do that a lot in, um, in, in some of my chair class, like just shake arms and legs for no, you know, I don't explain the whole traumatic thing necessarily every time, but, um, it does help dissipate. I found my other thing. The acute trauma is a single incident. That's what I was looking for. The acute trauma.
1: Right.
2: So, um, that is, you know, we all carry something, you know, I can think of <laughs> a few people in my mm-hmm. past that trigger me when I think about like, my, you know, mm-hmm. and if I knew better then I would have done better than, like you said earlier. Um, mm-hmm. but I think we always have to try to find a way to address our traumas and work with them because burying them inside of us, definitely they're, they're not going to go away and they will come out in, in various ways like substance abuse or self-medication or, mm-hmm. you know, different um, non, non-useful non habits, et cetera. Um,
1: so, so that's yeah. how, I mean, yoga can help in a way and it's not that yoga is going to um, reverse the trauma or get rid of it, but it can give us, Coping mechanisms for when uh, we get triggered or upset, right? Yeah. Because of more tools, you know, that are, that are healthy. Some healthy tools. Some healthy that we tools. To integrate into our lives. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Yeah. And so, yes. So when I'm teaching the um, sex trafficked population and the prison population, I teach them how to resource themselves so that no matter where they are. And I want to talk about what triggers or activations are so our audience understands. But no matter where they are, they have tools that can help to reground them. And Mm -hmm. I usually really talk up about the breath because the breath is wherever you are. Sometimes Mm -hmm. in these places, you don't have the things you need nearby or at all. So we we rely on visualization as well as the breath. So what I want to say Mm -hmm. about um, triggers or activations their psychological responses outside of our control that remind us of past trauma. Triggers can put you in a state of distress that can happen from fleeting thoughts, which I mentioned, music, and locations, and those are called traumatic imprints. So, with the ladies that were being um, controlled by another person, I asked them to, if they're walking, to notice the ground with each and every footstep, because they have a lot to look out for. Their the the person controlling them is usually watching them and seeing what they're doing, and then their potential. Um, I just call them rapists, but the potential customer, but they're rapists. They're paying to do a rape. The potential customer, they're watching out for a, you know an unstable potential customer. They're watching out for customers because they have a quota to make from the person controlling them. So they are hypervigilant about a lot of things when they're out, if they're walking, if they're out. So I ask them, look around for something that brings a little window of peace, like a flower. Um, you might not be able, like I used, then I use reference of my cat um, I have a picture of my cat in my phone. If I have the opportunity, if I start to feel activated personally, I would pull out my phone and look at that picture, and it will calm me. So we may not be able, we may not have time or opportunity to, or the phone, you know, in the prison or jail, to look at an image. So you can imagine, it can be real or imagine these resources. So you think about how loving you felt with your grandma. Or how loving you felt with the neighbor lady, and you try to call in that feeling in order to kind of uh, dissipate the trigger or the the um the activation. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be um, if you're in a place where you have a stuffed animal, a piece of clothing from someone that means something. You touching that, or even thinking about that, can help to bring a little sense of calmness. So we, mm-hmm. we so I teach about you know, using imagination as a tool to reset the nervous system if you don't have access to a physical thing. So I talk about my crystals, my rose quartz. I like holding one piece in my hand and it brings me a calm. And um, if I don't have the quartz with me, I think about the rough Feeling, and I prefer my rocks unfinished and raw because I like the rough the rough feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of us, malas are very calming. So we have access. We've seen a lot of yoga students with malas on their mat when they're taking their yoga practice. Um, if you have photo. real photos. Hmm?
1: i said those are good ideas what was the other one you had if you have a real photo of someone
2: a, a hard yeah. photo yeah to to touch and not just look at it but then you can touch it and um mm-hmm. fond memories good memories of a time when things were better or happier um and just you know using using these kind of tools also in the um in the prisons, I talk about the breath as an ever-present tool. So we know that the breath helps to regulate our nervous system in times of stress. It might not take care of what's stressing you, and and uh, and removing what's stressing you, but it will help you to deal with it a little bit better or to respond. I had one of my ladies. I'm jumping back to the to the diversion program after I've only I only go once a month, but I had gone. Mm-hmm. I was there the second month of last year. And one of the young ladies that was there the first time I went, she said, Miss, I got myself into a jam and all I could hear was your voice telling me to breathe. Oh wow. And that almost yeah. made me cry because yeah, sometimes they look when we're in person like they don't want to be there. And they have to be they don't have to come to my class, but they have to do so many uh, groups in a, an X amount of time per the court order. So sometimes you can not tell, you know, you're getting a rolling eyes. Sometimes it's kind of funny, mm. but anyway, um, but she told me that and that to me was the most important part because now her peers are hearing, Oh, she was in a jam. She used her breath. Maybe I should try that. Won't fix what's going on, but it'll give you a moment to think of what should I do? What can I do? How can I get away from this jam? If it's a physical threat, you know, so that made my day. Um,
1: But can I say, it seems to me like you're, I mean, you're really just teaching yoga like that. That's like the essence of the practice to me is that, you know, we often think about yoga is controlling the mind, but really it's just about like, you know, making peace with our mind and and not like, I think, well, maybe you could explain it better, but it seems like in trauma, what happens is we get it triggered and then we have a bunch of like even physiological reactions to something that may not be actually happening right now. It's like PTSD, right? It's like- it's like the memory causes a physical reaction or an emotional reaction that isn't based on the actual situation. Correct. Um, Like a stress response and stuff like that. Fight or flight response happens in the body. So what you're trying to do is teach them to respond, to to notice like the ability to notice when that's about to happen or when it when it starts to happen. To me, that's like classic yoga right there because that means you're actually Noticing what's happening in your mind. And it's hard. Like that's yeah. hard to do. Like your student who said she had she was in a jam and she used your breathing and heard your voice. Like that's really that shows that she's really practicing yoga. Like yeah. that's an advanced thing she did was to yes. be in the moment of trauma and respond. Um yes. so I mean that's why I sometimes say like the whole idea of trauma-informed teaching, I feel like it's kind of a To me, it's just yoga. It's like you're just teaching them to do yoga, and you're doing it in an extra sensitive way. Yes. right, Extra awareness.
2: You know, and for some of these, uh, I was going to say these young ladies, but some people, these um, situations that they are in is their first, the gateway of their yoga practice. A lot Mm -hmm. of times when I'm in the prisons, I'll say, who's first yoga class? Raise your hand. And there's hands that go up, so now I'm a seed sower. I'm sowing seeds of yoga, you know, and so that is um a beautiful thing, or they'll say i i I did yoga at a different facility um, that's where i where who first did yoga in in a jail or prison raise your hand so it's it can be like these programs can be uh the gateway for someone's yoga practice and I can probably honestly tell you majority of the ladies in the, um, diversion program are not thinking a thing about yoga. That is not their life, but again, Mm -hmm. sowing seeds and then having them. I also, I forgot to talk about noticing and feeling. So as I teach, I'm asking them to notice their feet on the floor or if they're seated, the back of your thighs in your chair, uh, Notice how your right arm feels now compared to the left so we can have some, besides keeping them focused on what we're doing, also, oh, I feel my right arm does feel a little different than the left side. We haven't done the left side yet. So they can feel Mm -hmm. the effects of yoga. We're not just swinging our arm in a circle. We're moving it in a thoughtful way. And this is how yoga feels. Notice your breath right now. How does it feel compared to when we first started? and not for them to answer out loud i invite them to speak out loud if they want to sometimes they're shy to talk about that but if you want to say it out loud say it out loud and some do you know so it's um it's a different way of being and for them and so i am grateful that you know they even try stuff when they're on their own um they ask am i doing it right am i doing it right especially in the prison we're on the mats it's different in the chair So they want to get it right. Um, I don't teach. I wanted to also touch on. I don't teach any of the um, poses that could be potential accident, like a headstand, handstand. They can fall over and bump into someone else and then a whole thing could start. So I don't teach those kind of um, precarious kind of poses. And not Mm -hmm. everyone can do a headstand, handstand, but everyone can throw their legs up the wall. That's the Mm -hmm. same result is brain oxygen to the brain, uh, with an inversion. So, um, and you know, I talk about doing yoga in your bed. You don't have to get on the floor. You don't need a mat. You don't, you, if you can find a chair, great, but you could do it in your bed before you step out to start your day. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: Beautiful. yeah, I use community agreements in the prisons because they're in jails. Cause there's a lot of Side talk amongst the students, (laughs) and so I start the class with, and they're really like class etiquette, but I call them community agreements. So one of them, the first one, is always for me: one voice, my voice. So meaning I'm like, let me talk, don't interrupt. If but if you have a question, we will stop and I'll take your question and we'll talk about it. Please raise your hand so we have some order. Because there's, they, they're, it's orderly in there when they're under the watchful gaze of the officer, but under other times, it's kind of chaotic. So you have to lay per- perimeters of what you expect, um, how they behave. And I've, I've said this, I want you to be prepared when you get out to be able to go to any yoga studio and know how things work, you know, so... Um, I I share like for a future point and some of them are in there for life, but you know, you never know laws change all the time. Um, We also, I wanted to touch on the wrongful convicted people that are in there. There's a privileged idea that if you're in prison, you deserve to be there. You did something wrong. There's a podcast called wrongful convictions, full of true Mm -hmm. stories of totally innocent people that are in the prison system because of, of lies, deceit, um, witness tampering, and stuff like that. And there's, I've read between 4% and up to 20% of the wow. people in the U.S. prisons are in there wrongfully convicted. Wow, that's horrifying. It's a high number. Um, yeah. We, as a little history about the U.S. prison system, we're the world's leading jailer. We are 5% of the world population. We house 22% of the world's uh, incarcerated people. Um, there are 2,30,0 people right now in the U.S. incarcerated or in uh, juvenile and immigration detention centers. Um, typically, the U.S. systems are not set up for, for rehabilitation or restoration. They are set up for punishment. Um which is not right because the people, most of them will get out. I think five percent stay in forever. They're either um, death penalty cases or life without parole. That's a small percentage only only not excuse me, only five percent. So when people say well, they're a prisoner, they don't get they don't deserve a college education, they'll be coming out to a neighborhood near you. and we need to give them tools to assimilate and be productive
1: um and giving them like yoga because in a way you're offering um such important tools for like you said for self-regulation and um what did you call it like to be to have those tools available for themselves we all need that you know and it can can help us to know how to take care of ourselves and not get into trouble later you know it just seems essential Um, yeah um Yeah, what you're doing, DuJour. I just want to say, like, it's such beautiful work. And I, I know that you haven't been able to be in person teaching those classes recently, but um I mean it's just I'm always moved by listening to you. That's why I wanted you here today. <laughs> just I love hearing you talk about this and I wanted to share it with our podcast community just because it's it's so amazing. It's just incredible. Yeah. And you're so like I can just hear it in your voice. You just get so excited.
2: And, you know, I told someone you know, recently that my two favorite things are teaching trauma-informed yoga second thing is talking about trauma-informed yoga so so it 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 has become a passion of mine I mean when I was in my first training I had no idea other than gym and and uh studio yoga I had no idea yoga was going on in these other types of places I'm so I Mm. found my my place I have this these um teaching in these these programs and these marginalized populations is my heartbeat is my heartbeat. I miss it so much. Um, and I cannot wait until we get back in, which clearly won't be this year, but I'm, I'm just hoping, um, you know, I'm hoping that a couple of things that we gave the incarcerated people, when we were in there for all those years, we gave them enough tools to carry on without us. And there will be times where I'd say, who wants to teach a pose? And they'd be shy. And I'm like, come on, you've been here so many months in our class. Somebody should know how to teach anything, you know, <laughs> and they'll come up to the, I'll have them come up to the front I'll go to the back of the room and I'll just let them teach just to get some leadership and, and some, you know, just you can do this. You can like when we don't show up, teach a mm-hmm. class yourself. You don't need the teacher. You've been coming here. Some of the people in the in the women's prison, um, the, the group that I'm with, um, they've been coming to the class for 14 years. The class is 14 years old. Some of them are in there for life. So they could be the teachers. They don't yeah. need us. Right. <laughs> so,
1: yeah.
2: so that's my hope that that's they're beautiful.
1: still, there. huh? So, to jour, to jour. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I know a few teachers like that, um, who became teachers when they're inside. Yeah. Um, I think Marshawn Feltis. Um, yeah. Who was on the cover of yoga journal last year. Um, yeah. he's in Chicago. He talks about that and, um, and there's a bunch of others, but, um, anyway, I just want to say thank you for all that work. And, how can people learn more about you and your work? Is there a way?
2: Yes, there's a way. Do I have time to talk about books real quick? Not to talk about them, just to yes. name them. Okay. So and then. You
1: can also, if you send me a list, I can add it to the show notes. We can add anything you want. Okay, um, I'll send a list.
2: It's a short list. Um, accessible Yoga Poses <laughs> and Practices for Everybody by oh, yes. our host, Jeevana Heyman.
1: Oh, and man. then. Um, yeah. Trump, With- Photos of the
2: <laughs> <Super model. laughs> So funny. Um, then the next one is Basil van der Kolk is the author. The body keeps the score. And my last one, this is a short list, but Dr. Gail Parker has a new beautiful book, restorative yoga for ethnic and race-based stress and trauma. Mm-hmm. And then the podcast I mentioned, Wrongful Convictions. Okay. Yeah, so nice Okay. <laughs> How to find me on Instagram, my handle, I think it's called a handle, MZ jour. So Ms. DeJure, M-Z-D-E-J-U-R. And then on Facebook, just my first name, D-E-J-U-R with a space, D-E space J-U-R. Mm-hmm. And then um, if you'd like to email me, I am DeJure at A-O-L. And I'd okay. love to hear from our listeners. I really appreciate this opportunity. I hope you all are signing up for the training. You have to. You just have to. Yoga teachers, take your teaching to the next level. Learn you how My to- training? I don't yeah.
0: to-
2: <laughs> Yes, your training. Accessible so nice. yoga training will up-level your teaching skills so that you don't freak out. When someone different shows up to your class, whether it be Zoom or brick and mortar, um, that you don't have a freak out and not know what to do with them. And we sense when we have, when we are the, the uh, recipient of a freak out and we may not feel welcome to come back. So you got to get those tools, learn what they are, get the book, sign up for the, the training program and stay um, involved mm-hmm. with yoga, the yoga yeah.
1: Uprising yoga, too, right?
2: Uprising yoga. Uprising yoga as well with Jill Scott. Jill, excuse me, Jill Scott. That's the singer. Jill Luis Ippolito. Uprising yoga. Um, And then prison yoga and meditation is another group that I teach with. Uh, and I would honestly say that once things get back to whatever the new normal is, there's going to be a lot of yoga opportunities to help us heal from this trauma of being under COVID times and losing family members and friends left and right, and under these political times of just the the trauma that we're going through from that, these racial times of the trauma from that. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for yoga teachers and therapists and other therapists not just yoga therapists for work next year i believe that's my prediction so get ready for new new jobs and new opportunities mm-hmm. Jeevan, I thank you so much for inviting me to talk today with to your listeners i really appreciate it and i'm honored that you asked me and i love you very much and I appreciate your promotion of me whenever you can. I, I love that. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I love you too, DuJour, and I really I appreciate everything you do. Thanks for being here today and, and teaching us. That was amazing. I uh, hope I get to see you in person sometime.
2: I hope but that too,
1: this year. This Well, next year maybe. So yeah, anyway, next year. thanks for being here though and, and take care. Okay. I love you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. You can check out everything we're doing and get show notes for the podcast over at www.accessibleyogatraining.com. You'll find the podcast where you can subscribe. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe or if you leave us a review. The reviews are awesome and they really help us understand how we can make it better, what you like, what you don't, what's working, what's not. So please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe there too. And please visit AccessibleYogaTraining.com where you can jump on our wait list for the next Accessible Yoga Training course starting in January and also get information about our other upcoming courses and everything that we offer. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time.